Come give a shout of praise today. You're like, I've never given a shout of praise before. I've never been in church before. Hey, there's always a great time to start, right? I just want to say right now, you know, whether you've been a Christian for 25 years or whether you just walked in the doors of this church, kind of not knowing what to expect, man, God is here in this moment and he wants to bring healing and restoration Whatever the death in your life, today is Resurrection Sunday and God wants to bring fresh life. So man, we're excited to be here today. Thank you so much for being here. What an awesome time. You know, uh, my sister, I'm gonna let you sit down in just one second. Actually, go ahead and sit down. Go ahead, go ahead. Have a seat. My sister, Natalie, she spoke here last week. Yeah, that was fun, wasn't it? Thanks, you guys. That was awesome. And uh, my sister has a joke because we used to go to Roller Odyssey in Medford, and then some of you grew up going to Skate World here, where you are, right? And we had a little joke. There would always be a song that would come on when you were at the skating rink. And my sister said, these are the kind of songs that make you skate faster. <laughs> you know what I mean? It'd be like if that song came on, like for some of us, like Christian kids growing up, it was like Stephen Curtis Chapman. Saddle up your horses. Anybody know what I'm talking about? And some of you, some of you that weren't raised in church, you know, you were in the the world. You know what I mean? You had like different songs. It'd be like Back in Black or something. Oh, or whatever, you know. I know it's not the song, but you had your song, right? And it makes you skate faster. You know what I mean? You're like, I feel it right now. It's my groove song. That song is my skate faster song that we just did right there. Better word. Come on. Because what an awesome reality that regardless of your past, your present, whatever the word that has been written over your life, whatever the words you put on your own life, the gospel of Jesus is that God wants to write another word over your life. Not an addict, free. Not brokenhearted and destroyed and going nowhere. No, set free, sanctified and on your way to heaven but not bringing, not raising hell here, raising heaven on this planet and doing everything God's called you to be. You were made on purpose and for a purpose. You are not just time plus slime plus chance. You are not somebody's accident in the backseat of a busted up old car. Come on. God made you on purpose and for a purpose. He's woven destiny into you. And you go, man, that sounds kind of like really highfalutin words up there. Those are really deep. No, here's the thing. God loves you so much. We sang about that today. And today we're here to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus, which is the sign that everything God wanted to do through Jesus was like, that worked. And we can receive it. We can connect with it today. So I'm excited to be here. Wave at me if you're excited to be here today. All right. All right. It's awesome to see you. We've got a bunch of candy out there for the kids. And heck, if the kids are done, maybe some adults could go through. I don't know. That's my plan. I was, that's my secret hope, right? Just kind of like a, I'm a recovering candy holic. You know what I mean? not really recovering or repentant, still <laughs> deeply in it. So Easter is about the resurrection of Jesus. And uh, that's the greatest this changes everything moment ever. How many of you have ever had a this changes everything moment? Like everything was going along swimmingly and all of a sudden that changes everything, right? And they're good and bad. Last night I had a this changes everything moment. So my wife gave me a haircut and she did a really good job. And it looked really good. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. I, I, that's more applause than I get when I preach. I don't know what I said, but I mean, that's, I'll say it again. My wife gave me a haircut. <laughs> and uh, yeah, wow. I, I, 
I don't know what I'm saying that's so exciting. But anyways, that's cool that you're so excited. So she gave me a haircut. She did a really good job. And I thought I had a little stray hair. So I was going to go fix it. And I decided I'll use the buzzer, you know, the clipper or whatever. And I'll just set the guard that I had. And all of a sudden I went, and a big clump hit the thing, the sink. And then I thought, oops. And I looked and I had this giant crater in my head, in my hair. So I was like, babe, help me. So she came in and we had to, we had to, we had to shave it down. How many of you know, like when you're, when you get the haircut and then you do like the clippers, you can't grow it back. It's not Chia Pet. There's only one way to fix it, which is to embrace and go all the way. It changes everything, right? Which is like a big deal for a pastor on Easter Sunday. You know, I'm a PK. I grew up in church. My, uh, means a pastor's kid. You know, my dad's a pastor and all that. And so like Easter Sunday for the pastor is like Super Bowl. You know what I mean? Like, because all the people that only go to church on Christmas and Easter show up, like some of you, don't raise your hand, just embrace it. You know who you are. And so we're like excited about all the people coming to church. You know, it's like, wow, you know, it's cool. So, so I was wanting to like, you know, look fancy, whatever. And I got my hair cut and was ready to, to rock and then did that. This changes everything. But there's other moments in life that are this changes everything moments, right? Like, uh, I don't know if there's any geeks in the room, but uh, I love Lord of the Rings, like deeply love Lord of the Rings. I read The Silmarillion multiple times. I speak Elvish. No, I don't. I don't. <laughs> Not at all. But I love Lord of the Rings. And uh, there's this scene in the movies and I love the books, like not just the movies, but the movies are great. So even if you're not, haven't read the books, you can still be cool today and embrace this story, okay? But read the books if you haven't. Uh, in the movie, there's this scene where Gandalf, who's the old wizard guy, how many of you know what I'm talking about? Ian McKellen, he's super cool. He's wise. He's awesome. He has a wand. He's just cool stuff. Or not a wand, a staff. We're in church. Come on. So anyways, <laughs> it's not Harry Potter. Anyways, um, <laughs> That was good. All right, so Gandalf has a, has a wizard staff, you know, and he's powerful and he's always guiding them and getting them out of sticky wickets. You know, they're getting into trouble and, and Gandalf always shows up to help them. And they're in this place called the Mines of Moria and all these orcs are chasing them and it's like drums, drums in the deep, you know, this part of the movie. And they're running and they go through and there's this thing that pops out. It's, this, it's called a Balrog or a Balrog. And it's like a demon of shadow and flame, right? Anybody? Okay. I had a haircut. All right. Okay. There we go. <laughs> it's my go-to now. Yeah. Thank you. I appreciate that. So this demon of shadow and flame, he's, he opposes Gandalf and Gandalf steps up to the plate. He's going to like fight him. And he gives that famous line, you shall not pass. Right? That's what we yell at our kids when they're homeschooling and taking a test. You know, you're anyways. Um, <laughs> Gandalf faces off with this Balrog. And he beats him. He knocks him into the pit. Balrog's going down. But he has this whip of fire. And he, he grabs Gandalf by the ankle. And he pulls him down. And he's hanging there on the thing. And he gives that line, fly, you fools. You know, and then whew, he's gone. Now, how many of you were at this moment in the story like, no! I may or may not have, but definitely cried in the movie. Even though I read the book. <laughs> I already knew. He comes back. It's like, Kind of like Easter. Spoiler alert, he's not really dead. Anyways, Gandalf comes back. But in that moment, you're like, all hope is gone. Everything is messed up. This changes everything. What are we going to do without Gandalf? Now, how many of you know what I'm talking about? A this changes everything moment. How many of you have kids? Jesus, I just pray right now for your encouragement, your strength. I remember when we had our daughter, Evie, 
uh, we, we're pros now. We got three kids. We're just, we're like, we, we own it. They, you know, we're, we're not worried or nervous. But when we had Evie, she's our first baby. And it was like, this changes everything. And I remember at the, we were at this birth center. It was like a spa. It was so nice. I don't know how we got, got there. But anyways, we, we had this great experience. And then the midwife was like, well, it's time for you to go home now. I think you're, you're good to go home. And we were like, excuse me? You need to take your daughter and go home. It's been three days. And we're like, no, we live here now. You guys help us. Because I didn't feel qualified, right? To raise a kid and, and, and do that whole parental thing. So I remember then our daughter, Evie, she had a really interesting sleep rhythm. She didn't. So <laughs> I remember like one of the, one of out of like maybe 10 times of all three kids that I actually helped at night. How many, no, you can perfect the art of I'm not really awake, but you are, but you're faking it. So your spouse will get up. You know what I'm talking about? I should win an Oscar for my performances. Oh, babe, I think the baby's... Anyways, one time Bethany figured it out. She's like, no, you got to help. So I was laying awake there with Evie. And Evie would literally stay awake from about one to four in the morning, pretty much every night. And I remember laying on the bed and I, had, I was you know, down on my side and she was there and she's this pink little cherub, fat fingers, just rosy. You know what I mean? Super cute in her diaper. And she's just like... I got that, like cooing and cawing and going for it and, and chattering. And I just had a thought like this, everything is different. I used to be able to sleep through the night and now that's gone. And now, and, and the love that you feel for your kids. Like I just, even though I was mad at her for being awake in this moment, I just deeply loved her. It changed everything. So in life, you have these moments that whether you embraced it or wanted that change or not, it comes and it changes everything. And we're all familiar with that, right? Sometimes it's the negative things, and we'll talk about that a little bit later, that happened where you wish, really wish it wouldn't have happened or that you're not going through it, but it changes everything. But today we get to talk about the greatest this changes everything moment of all time, which is the resurrection of Jesus. You see, we live in a very deeply broken world. It's not hard to see that. And God didn't just stay distant from our problem. He didn't just kind of go, well, it's their fault. They made their mess. They made their bed. They can lie in it. He, he sent his son Jesus to walk on this planet, to live a sinless life, to give his life at the cross, which is what we were singing about, to, to die, and then to raise again, to be uh, raised from the dead as a sign that he really is God, that he really is the Messiah. You can put your faith and trust in him and find everlasting life, but Jesus actually rose from the dead. And it's the greatest, this changes everything moment. Now, as we jump in today, what I want to do is talk about the resurrection. But before we do that, I want to give you like the Netflix recap version uh, of the story of Jesus, because I don't know what your background is. Maybe you grew up in church, you heard all these stories about Jesus, or maybe you're here today and you're just kind of kicking the tires on faith or you're just looking into church or whatever. So let me, let me bring you up to speed and give you the Netflix recap. How many of you like that recap at the beginning of your shows? I need it because I fall asleep at the last half an hour of every show. It's like two in the afternoon. I still fall asleep halfway through the show and I need that recap. So let me give you the recap of Jesus' ministry and story. So Jesus lived in the nation of Israel. At the time, it was the Roman province of Judea 2,000 years ago. And he rolled around. I think you're probably familiar with a little bit of this, but he, he taught people messages. He told stories called parables and he did miracles. So Jesus was a big deal. Crowds would come <clears throat> to be around him because he would heal sick people. So if you had a family member or yourself that was in need of healing, and this guy does miracles, like people wanted to get around him. And he said really interesting things. He uh, talked about these parables and told stories and all this kind of stuff. And he talked about the kingdom of God. 
But even his closest followers, the people we call his disciples, they weren't 100% sure about him. They didn't really get him, okay? Because these were Jewish people and they had a history and, and and a thought culturally that they had this individual that would show up at some point called the Messiah. And this Messiah was gonna be like the second coming of King David, who was like their top king. And so in their mindset, they were gonna have this second coming of King David. He'd be the Messiah, it means the anointed one. He was gonna be this, hero that shows up and basically destroys their enemies and restores their nation to the place of prominence that they once had. And so they thought about Jesus this way. And they're always asking him, like, can we, when you come into your kingdom, can we sit by you? And he's like, you guys don't understand. And they, they, they didn't get it, but he dropped breadcrumbs along the way. He would say things like this, look, my, my kingdom is not of this world. He said, I'm the son of, of man, and I came not to Uh, to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. And eventually he actually started to even tell them this very clearly. He says, and we have it recounted for us by one of Jesus' disciples in the book of Matthew chapter 16. From that time, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he would go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed on the third day and on the third day be raised to life. So Jesus says, look, you don't understand. My kingdom's not of this world. I'm not here to do things in the way you think, your filter, your your lens. I I have another plan. I'm actually going to be killed and and raised again. And his disciples did not get this. And they so did not get this. They had no filter for it. That actually one of Jesus' disciples named Peter, when Jesus says this, he actually tells Jesus, no, Lord, it will not be. That's not, we're not going to let that happen to you. And then Jesus turns around and says, I rebuke you, Satan. (laughs) How many of you know that's a bad day at the office when Jesus Christ calls you the devil? You've been called a lot of things, right? Driving on the belt line, but no, that's different. This is another level. Jesus himself is like, you're the devil. Oh my gosh, that's a bad performance review. So here's Peter and Jesus says, look, you're thinking about this from a human perspective, not from God's. Okay, okay, cool, 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 cool. They don't have anywhere to put this. Jesus has this doing something different. He's thinking of a different, this changes everything moment than they are. Even his closest friends did not understand, did not get him, didn't understand that he was up to something a lot bigger than what they thought. Jesus wasn't here to set up an earthly kingdom to deal with their political problem. How many of us fall into this trap? And I don't care whether you are a MAGA hat wearing gun-toting conservative or a very left, you know, lefter than Stalin, communist, liberal, Democrat. I'm just having fun. <laughs> if you don't feel offended, I'll keep going. I wanna, I'm not trying to offend liberals or conservatives. I want to offend everybody today because all of us fall somewhere on a political spectrum. And guess what? We're all 100% right, aren't we? You didn't laugh as much about that as the haircut joke. I don't know. Because now we're getting real. But we think, oh, well, if their politics would get sorted out, then everything would be better. No, Jesus didn't come to set up your president, your person, your regardless of what side you fall on. Now, if that offends you, that's, that's okay because that offense that you feel in that truth is the beginning of some healing where you get a hold of his kingdom that he actually wants to establish, which is way better than conservatism or liberalism. Regardless of whoever sits on the, in the presidency, we want Jesus on the throne because he's actually the answer. So his people at this time were thinking he's gonna kick Rome out. Of course, that's what he's gonna do. 
We're, we're Jews. We're, we're in the nation of Israel. So of course he's going to get rid of Rome. And Jesus goes, nah, that's actually not why I'm here. Didn't mean he was for Rome, but he wasn't, about, he wasn't trying to give a political answer to their political problem. He wasn't here to set up an earthly kingdom. Neither was he creating a new philosophy to deal with their intellectual problem. How many times do we say this? Well, if, the, if that side of this person or that person would have more education or they could think differently, then everything would be better. And it's always someone else that needs to think better, not you. But Jesus wasn't just some great moral teacher, some teacher of great, you know, very erudite, scholarly maxims and axioms. He wasn't Tony Robbins with like robes and more fish and, and loaves. Like that wasn't who he was. He wasn't just coming to give philosophy and teaching and knowledge to deal with their intellectual problem. And neither was he coming to create some new morality to deal with their moral problem. How many Christians will say things like, well, if the world would just start, you know, change their sinful ways and turn or burn. And if the world would just change their, and do what Jesus wants them to do, then everything would be better. And here's the deal. How many times in your life have you not pushed the red button? Does it work for you? What if my sermon today was, hey, listen, everybody, welcome. It's Easter Sunday. Everybody's looking good. Look, uh, here's the bottom line. Just don't sin anymore. Just stop. It's kind of like Bob Newhart's $5 counseling, right? This is how I love to counsel. If you ever get counseling from me, this is how I counsel. Pastor Jake, we're going through these problems. Okay, hold on. I have, uh, let's just see. Uh, stop it. <laughs> Do you know what I'm talking about? Anybody ever seen that? Like four people. That's awesome. But if I just said to you, look, stop sinning, just, just don't, just stop doing the wrong thing. Whenever you want to do the wrong thing, don't do it. How many of you are like, uh, that's not super encouraging because I always eventually push the red button. So Jesus wasn't coming just to give you this moral code so that if you just followed it along, you can't. So what was Jesus really up to? He actually came to deal with the problem at the root of all problems. He came to deal with the actual sickness that creates the symptoms of death and brokenness in our world. He came to deal with this problem called death. Because when Adam and Eve all the way back in the garden decided to do their own thing, they introduced this thing we call sin into the equation. And sin simply means this, to miss the mark. God has a design for life. And when we step outside and we go, now I reject God's design for life, whether that's in how we think, how we act, how we speak, how we live, then we enter into what's called sin. It means to miss the mark. We miss the mark. And the, what happens is, the scripture actually says this in the book of Romans. Paul says, the wages of sin, when you step out of line, when you miss the mark, when you push the red button when you're not supposed to, whether you choose it or whatever, the wages of that, the payment of that is this thing we call death. And it's physical death, it's relational death, it's emotional death, it's mental death, it's dying in your, in, your, in your ability to cope. It's death at every level. But the beauty of the Christian message of the gospel is this, the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. When you connect with Christ, you connect with eternal life. But Jesus wasn't here to just set up your political party. He wasn't here to give you a brand new moral code. He wasn't here to establish a new philosophy. He was actually coming to deal and do the biggest this changes everything moment of, of ever. His closest friends even didn't get this. There's a, a group of people in this story at Jesus' time. He had three friends. They were very close friends. Jesus would actually stop at their house as he passed 
to and from Jerusalem in a village called Bethany. There was a man named Lazarus and he had two sisters, Mary and Martha, and they lived together. And they were friends of Jesus. Jesus would go to their house. He would spend time there. They'd allow him to, to, to minister there. And they had trusted him. They were his followers. They were his friends. One day, during the course of time, Lazarus becomes ill and he's very ill. And so Mary and Martha do what they know to do, which is, well, we know this guy who happens to do miracles and heal people. So who should we, who are we going to call, right? Call Jesus. So anyways, they call Jesus, not on the telephone. They didn't have those back then, in case you were wondering. Uh, They send word, they send a message and he doesn't come. He doesn't respond. He doesn't show up and fly in with a cape and save the day. And Lazarus dies. So now here they are, the friends of Jesus, personal friends, disciples, they've trusted in him, they're following Jesus, and Jesus lets them down. And they have a this changes everything moment. Now let's try to put ourselves in their shoes. They're doing it the right way. They're, they're you know, good Jewish family. They're following this new rabbi, Jesus. They, he does miracles. He helps. He's healed so many people. And now Lazarus dies and he didn't show up. And they have a this changes everything moment. Maybe in your life, you've been a little disappointed with God because you called on him. You prayed. You said, oh, Jesus, please let this abuse stop. Please don't let my family member get sick. Please don't let me go through this pain that I feel every day. Please don't let me go through this financial devastation, whatever. Whether it's abuses and things that have been caused upon you or you've caused yourself or whatever. Sometimes in life you go through these devastating moments. Maybe a a devastating romantic breakup where your spouse promised to be all in, but they said, peace out. When the grass looked greener on the other side. Whatever you faced, we've all experienced these this changes everything moments. And it's easy to go, what the heck, God? I stood in church. I sang that song. Did it mean anything? I prayed. I went to church. I tried to do my best. And where were you? Like, what, what happened? And it's a very real and raw question. And I think all of us ask it at some level or another many times in life. And we're saying, Jesus, I have a filter. I have a lens. I have a perspective of how you should help me. I I think you should show up and you should solve our politics. You should fix us. You should help us. I think you should come and you should solve what's going on. And it's not that he doesn't care. In fact, in the story with Mary and Martha and Lazarus, when Jesus actually finds out that Lazarus dies, it's the shortest verse in the Bible, but it says, Jesus wept. You can pat yourself on the back. You just learned a memory verse today in church, right? Jesus wept. You remember it now, right? You did it. he's, He's deeply emotional because he actually cares. People will share things with me, you know, as a pastor. And sometimes I get to hear some of the raunchiest, horrible stuff that's happened to people. Sometimes it's self inflicted wounds, other times it's what other people do. And oftentimes I say, I have no words. All I can do is cry with God over your life because this is not how it was meant to be. When you're hurting, you don't need platitudes. Sometimes you just need somebody to be present with you, right? The beauty of our God is that he looked at the mess that we made and he didn't stay aloof and afar off and ignore us. He actually came down into this mess and Jesus came and lived as a man, but he lived a sinless life, but he tasted rejection and abuse 
We're going to talk about that in a second, but he actually experienced it. But even in the story with Mary and Martha and Lazarus, Jesus wept. He cared. And eventually he comes to where Mary and Martha are. And we see this conversation in John chapter 11. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you have been here, my brother would not have died. Where in your heart today do you have this sort of, it's like, God, I, maybe you're a Christian and you love God, but you kind of go, oh, but that thing, if you'd been here in my life, it wouldn't have happened. Or maybe you're not a Christian today. Maybe you're seeking and you kind of go, well, man, you know, I don't know if I really want to trust him because he hasn't really helped me, at least that I know of. So Martha says, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. And then she gives a nice religious answer because she's a good Jewish lady. She says, but I, I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. It's kind of like a maybe. <laughs> you could help me with this. And Jesus says to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha thinks that he's giving her a platitude because this is what they believe. This is the religious answer. She thinks Jesus is giving her a precious moments card. Oh, your brother will rise again. He's in a better place. Have a nice day. That's not what he's doing. Martha says, I know. I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And Jesus said to her, and this is where we pivot because this is where he starts to say some really intense things. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. Now, when he says these words, I am, it's actually an echo of the words that God spoke from a burning bush back in Exodus to Moses. Moses is talking to this bush on fire and all of a sudden the voice comes out and he says, who are you? He says, I am. And this is the God of the universe, the self-created, self-existent one who says, I am. It's like his reason for existence is that he exists. And Jesus is actually saying, I am. It's the same words. I am the resurrection and the life. Martha says, oh, I know in the, in the, in the, in the future there'll be resurrection, but basically we missed it. And we are just kind of have this sort of vague notion of resurrection, sort of a vague religious answer. Jesus says, hold on a second. You're talking to the answer. You're speaking to the solution. I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. Every one of us will taste death sometime in the next 100, 150 years. I'm trying to be really generous, you know. <laughs> Maybe you'll get like a biological brain or, or you know, what do they call it? Like a cyborg brain or something and you'll live for a lot longer. But we're going to die in the next 100, 100, 150 years, let's say. You're going to taste natural death. Jesus says, look, even though you die, if you believe in me, you're going to get resurrection life. This is the first type of life that Jesus offers and what Easter is about. A lot of people misunderstand the hope of Christianity. The hope of Christianity is not that we sort of die and then we turn into sort of um, uh, spiritual, solical, floating in space, fat little babies playing harps. And it's kind of this meaningless, you know, place sort of vaguely hazy and yellow and gold. And, you know, there's like, Christian music, Amy Grant's music is playing and it smells of potpourri, you know? It's kind of a lot of people have this vision of heaven that's very sort of abstract. No, actually the vision of the afterlife is that there's a new heaven and a new earth and we are actually raised from the dead and given a new body. So your body is not something that just gets thrown away. Like your body gets resurrected and we have a bodily resurrection. We believe this as Christians. I won't go into all the depth and, and detail of that today, but that's what Jesus is talking about, that when you die, you will be raised again to physical life, even though you face death, which I think is rad. Because when I talk to my kids and they're like, well, they talk about death and they talk about Papa Dave that passed away. We go, well, he did die and we're very sad. 
but we will see him again. And it won't be like cherub, fat, circling, heart-playing Dave. <laughs> It'll be that beautiful, wonderful man that we know. That's the hope of a Christian resurrection. That's good, okay? And that's just part of it. We're doing like the, it gets even better. <laughs> and Jesus goes on, he says, and whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Which sounds like, well, are you talking out of both sides of your mouth? You just said we were gonna die. Well, he's talking about life at another level. He's saying that when your source of life is his spirit, the, your source of life is the life that Jesus gives, you're not going to die. You're not going to experience that kind of death that comes from the natural world. If you actually study out in the, the Greek language, there's, and I'm not going to get super uh, into the Greek on this, so don't worry. I know it's, it's Easter and we want to go eat like brunch and stuff, so we'll, we'll, we won't get too deep. But there's this word bios, which we get our word biology from. And biology uh, is the natural life. And we know we have this natural physical life, but there's another kind of life in the, in the Greek, this word zoe, which is the spiritual kind of life. And so if you think about your body, you have a body and your body has life and that life gets resurrected in Christ, but you also have the spiritual life, which is the inside part, the immaterial part, the spiritual solical thing. And that part actually dies too. And that, that part might even be more dead than the physical part. And unless that gets saturated with life, unless that gets resurrected, then it's not okay that your body just gets resurrected. You actually need to, you need to be renewed and restored and resurrected as a person at that spiritual level. So Jesus is talking about this kind of life. Yes, your body's going to get resurrected, but I'm also going to let you taste and drink deeply of the abundant kind of life so that as you are living in a world of death, you are actually alive from the inside out. And this is the kind of life that throws off addiction. This is the kind of life that actually grows as a person and begins to love and serve and live differently in the world. This is the kind of life that throws off depression and allows you to live with joy even in the midst of the storm. This is the kind of life that Jesus wants to give you. Yes, thank you. That's better than a haircut. You can cheer for that. <laughs> Many times the gospel that we believe in, that we've heard, that we even live is not too strong, it's way too weak. Because we don't expect resurrection life to be resurrecting us every single day. We basically are thinking like Martha, the cheap kind of platitudinal religious answer that you'd find on a Precious Moments card. It's like, yeah, everything sucks, but eventually we'll go to heaven. That's not quite it, Martha. Yeah, you're gonna resurrect, that's awesome. But hold on, I want to resurrect you now. I want to bring life into your story now. Maybe right here today, you're going, my story is dead. Right now, I'm like Lazarus in the grave, and I'm wrapped up and starting to stink. And there's no hope for me. No, there is hope for you. His name is Jesus, and he's standing before you today, asking you the question that he asks Martha. He says, I'm the resurrection and the life. If you believe in me... You will live even though you die. And whoever believes in, live, lives by believing me will never die. He asked her, do you believe this? He's asking you today, do you believe this? Do you connect with this message? Do you receive me as resurrection and life? Now in the story, Jesus actually raises Lazarus from the dead, which is really cool. 
But you know what? That was just a preview. That was just the trailer. That wasn't the whole show. It wasn't the movie because Lazarus actually dies, even though he gets raised from the dead and this miracle takes place. Somewhere in the world, Lazarus has a grave and his bones are there. But Jesus has a grave and his bones are not there. And this miracle was just a preview of what was to come. And I think the real miracle that takes place in this story is not that he raises Lazarus from the dead. It's that he reveals himself as the answer to the problem that plagues us all. That was better than you gave me credit for. Okay, I'm preaching better than you're amening, but I, it's okay. We're at, I know you're hungry for brunch. Okay. Jesus was talking about a deeper miracle. He wasn't just concerned with raising Lazarus from the dead. That was like the short-term fix, but eventually Lazarus would die again. Eventually Martha would die. Eventually Mary would die. You and I, eventually we die. So it's not just that Jesus fixes the here and the now. It's that he fixes us on the inside and gives us a taste of that eternal life, even on this side of eternity. So getting back to the story, Jesus goes to Jerusalem. His followers still don't understand him. He's turned over to the authorities. He's taken to a sham trial. They mock him. They spit on him. They beat him. They scourge him, 39 stripes. He goes to the cross. He's nailed to a wooden cross. He's crucified. The scripture says that in that moment, he became sin for us, that he could take on the full weight of the wrath of God so that justice could be served. You know, God doesn't just look at sin and go, oh, I just make it go away. It's like we spray in the bathroom. Everything's done now. No, there's a stench. There's a stain that cannot be removed unless justice is served. Every bad thing you've done, every bad thing done to you had to be paid for. Nobody could just leave the restaurant and they'd go, oh, we forgive the bill. So Jesus had to take on himself all the sin of the world, past, present, and future. And in that moment, satisfy the justice of God. But what that opened up was when a sinless, sacrificial lamb took upon himself the sin of the world. He was crucified. He went into the grave. But three days later, he was raised from the dead which is what we celebrate on Easter Sunday. And it's like in the story of Aslan in the, in the books in Narnia, when they kill Aslan and the white witch and all her cronies are like, ah, 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 and they thought they'd won. And it was the greatest trick perpetrated against them. And I think it was exactly like that with Satan and demons and all the forces of hell that thought they won and destroyed the son of God. And it was the greatest trick ever and the greatest victory ever as all of a sudden, just like the stone table was broken and the, that, that represents the curse, it represents the fall, it represents death. Jesus broke death. He took the keys of death and he opened up a way for us to have eternal life. And on Easter Sunday, he rose again as the first fruits of the new resurrection. Jesus is leading the way. This time he does come riding in. When he comes back to this planet, he does come in with a cape. This is metaphorical. You can don't, there's not a verse that says he has a cape. But he comes back and it says, when he comes back, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. And he's coming back. The one who made all new things will make all things new. He will wipe every tear from their eye and we will finally realize the fullness of the resurrection. But guess what? Jesus is flying in today with a cape coming in to say, look, even though you're living in a world of death and brokenness and pain and despair, I've come to bring life to you, life and life more abundantly that you could drink to the full. And if you believe in me and you live in this kind of life, even though you die, you're not gonna die. And even though you experience death now, you'll be alive on the inside. That's the kind of life that Jesus wants to give you today. Jesus was crucified, 
but it wasn't even close to being over. It's like a Marvel movie. When the movie's over, you gotta watch the credits because there's more. Come on, there's another scene. In Mark chapter 16, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, Salome, they brought spices. They go to the tomb. They're like, who's gonna roll the, the stone away? It's large. But they get there and the stone's rolled away. They go inside and there's a, a man in white clothes. He says, don't be alarmed. Are you looking for Jesus of Nazarene who was crucified? He has risen. He is not here. He rose. He beat death. He wasn't just establishing a political kingdom that would come and go. He wasn't just giving clever words and philosophies. He wasn't giving you a moral code so you could get it right and not make God angry. Jesus was actually dealing with the real problem and did the greatest, this changes everything moment ever. He provided a way for us to have life in him. And when you trust in Jesus, guess what happens? You get a this changes everything moment the best, the, the brightest, the most incredible. Look, I, I'm, I'm been a Christian for more than 20 years. I have to go back so long to think when I actually put my faith in Jesus and I'm not over it yet. I'm still just as excited, if not more excited about my salvation today than I was when I was a four-year-old boy recognizing that I was a sinner and needed Jesus. When I was a 15-year-old kid and recognizing I needed Jesus and made that kind of adult decision to follow Jesus. Today, I'm just as excited about that decision to follow Jesus because his life is on the inside of me. This changes everything. When you come to Christ, like the apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Paul talks about this in Romans 8. He says that same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells inside of you and will give life to your mortal bodies. Come on. What our world needs is not better politicians. We need life. What our world needs is not better education. We need life. What our world needs is the life that comes from the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. The hope of our world will not be found in this world, it comes in the person of Jesus Christ. And it starts personally as he asks you this question, do you believe this, Martha? Do you believe that I'm the resurrection and the life? It says in the book of Romans, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. A couple weeks ago, I was in my kitchen and I was praying about our church. I was thinking about our church and I felt the Lord tell me kind of tap me on the shoulder and uh, not physically, that would freak me out a lot, but you know, my mind or whatever, I just kind of felt like God wanted to speak something to me. And he said these words to me, salvation before transformation. And I was like, what does that mean? And I thought about it and I was realizing so often we try to get people's lives fixed before they actually have the antidote to the real problem. So maybe you're here today and you're like, well, I've been in therapy. I've been at the AA meeting. I've been the divorce counselor, the marriage counselor. I've been to every counselor, every therapist. I've been to every doctor. I've been to everybody. And I have no hope and I have no answers. Maybe you still have hope and you're still thinking some of those things are gonna fix you, but here's the deal. You're not really gonna have the solution until you have the solution. There is no way to be right, to be transformed, to be healed and whole and restored without first giving your life to Jesus. When you give your life to Jesus, does that mean immediately everything in your life is instantly better? No, 
All I know though is to really get free, you gotta have Christ. He is the gate, he is the door, he is the way, the truth and the life. And he's inviting you today to put your faith in him. He's asking you, do you believe? It says in Romans, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. Today on Easter Sunday is an opportunity to place your faith and trust in Jesus and believe in him as your Lord and Savior. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes just for a moment. If you're here today and you go, Pastor Jake, I want that. Not fake religion, not philosophy, not better morals, not a better creed, not some better belief system. No, I want the actual presence of Jesus in my life. I want him to save me. I wanna be right with him. I want what he did for me at the cross and at the empty tomb. This is your moment to put your faith and trust in Jesus. And it's nothing we do. You don't qualify yourself to earn your way to God. He does it by his grace. You place your faith in him. You confess with your mouth. You believe in your heart. If that's you today, would you raise your hand? I wanna give my life to Jesus. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Awesome, awesome. Anybody, come on, raise your hand. I want Jesus today, for real. Not fake, not phony, not just religion. I want him. Save me, heal me. I wanna turn from my sin. I wanna know him. Come on, raise your hand today. I wanna know Jesus. Thank you. Awesome. All over this room, there's people making a decision to follow Jesus. That's so cool. Listen, right now, we're gonna pray together. And the prayer doesn't make you a Christian. It's your faith in him and what he already did. Pastor Jake doesn't make you a Christian. Jesus does. He saves you. And so right now, we're gonna pray this prayer. And right after, Bethany's gonna come up. She's gonna give you an opportunity to take a next step, fill out a card so we can walk this out with you, this decision. But right now, as you make this decision, Jesus is gonna honor his word and save you. So would you pray this prayer with me today and let's all pray it together. Dear Jesus, I confess my sin to you. I know that I've not lived up to your standard. I've done the wrong thing and people have done the wrong thing to me. I've experienced the death of this world, but I thank you for your life that you gave for me. I receive your grace and mercy revealed at the cross and I receive your life revealed at the empty tomb. You rose again. I believe. I put my faith in you today. Thank you for saving me. In Jesus' name, amen.